0: Hey everybody, Aaron Crowley here with the Fab Lab Podcast, and I'm going to begin this with a word from our sponsor, our exclusive sponsor, the No Lift Install System. Now as you will hear on this episode of the Fab Lab Podcast, in my interview with Eric Post, economist with ITR Economics, the labor situation isn't going to change anytime soon. The difficulty that you're having, like the difficulty everyone's having, trying to find employees, more specifically trying to find installers, it's not going away. Um pie in the sky thinking to believe that uh, maybe next week, maybe next month, maybe next year, it'll get easier to find installers. Not going to be the case, folks. And so one of the best ways that you can deal with that labor shortage is to not lose the employees you've got. So if you've got highly skilled installers, if you've got highly skilled employees that are out there in the field putting those countertops in for you, make sure you're doing everything you can possibly do to keep them healthy, to keep them working, to retain that fantastic skill set. So if you've got those installers that have five, seven, ten years of installing, that wealth of knowledge, skill, and experience that they are putting to work for your company – Don't put them at risk any longer. Get them a no-lift install system so they don't have to carry those countertops into the work area anymore. They don't have to pick them up. They don't have to lift. They don't have to stretch. They don't have to reach. They don't have to strain. Setting those big, awkward countertops up on top of cabinets to set them down into place so that they can put the job in so that you can get paid. Retain, protect, and keep those highly skilled installers with the no-lift install system. Now, Back to the episode, ladies and gentlemen, folks, fabricators from across the Fruited Plain. Wow, what a great conversation I had today with Eric Post. He is an economist with ITR Economics. They are a firm, a 70-year-old firm, that provides data and forecasting for industry and, quite frankly, the stone industry. There are multiple trade associations that retain ITR Economics, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of their crack guys today, Eric Post, and we had a great conversation. It was a brief conversation, about 25 minutes. They're so busy forecasting, there are so many people that want to know what's going to happen as though they've got a crystal ball. They are in high demand. I had to wait months to have this conversation, and then they told me 20 to 25 minutes tops, and so we got it done in 25 minutes. It was a great conversation, so enlightening, and it was really encouraging. You know, the last time I had one of the economists from ITR on it was in March of 2020 right as COVID was beginning to ramp up and then we had him on again about 2 months later I think it was May of that year after COVID had really hit and the shutdown had occurred and boy it was just it was so chaotic what a blessing to be 2 years later almost to the day Things have changed in the sense that uh, the economy is stabilizing, it's starting to normalize. Yeah, there's some headwinds. Yeah, there's some challenges. Yeah, there's news about interest rates and whatnot, but the underlying data, as you will hear in this episode, is really positive. It's really strong. So I hope you'll enjoy this great conversation that I had with Eric Post from ITR Economics. Enjoy. Hello, Eric. Welcome to the Fab Lab podcast. Thanks so much, Aaron. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to have somebody else from ITR Economics on the podcast here. There is so much going on in the economy, so much going on in the uh, you know the the world of most small business owners right now in terms of the news and just all the dynamics. It is just a real real pleasure to have somebody like you come and share with us today. And so um you know as we get into that, can you tell us just a little bit about your background as an economist and your time with ITR?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me. Uh, I think my background, uh, I really got into this because I grew up with an entrepreneurial father, uh, actually, who was in uh, the housing, related to the housing industry and wood products. So um, not that different from countertops in some ways, both going into the housing market. Um, and so you know, just growing up, going around to his uh, workplace and seeing how things worked and seeing how entrepreneurs, small business owners worked. Uh, I think that's probably why I got interested in economics, huh. and especially the business application of economics. Oh, great. Uh, so that's kind of my my backstory. Went to college, uh, got my economics degree, worked at a different consulting firm, taught math for a little bit, and then came to ITR. I've been here uh, about seven years almost now, uh, and I'm the director of research and development. So I do a lot of the forecasting, a lot yeah. of the research, and a lot of the training, my big three.
0: Okay, fantastic. And what what does that look like when you are doing the research? You're looking at some data set. You know what what is it that you're looking at when you are trying to forecast? And and what is it that you're forecasting?
1: <laughs> yeah. So ITR. Uh, let's see. We've we've been in business uh, over seventy years, and wow. we look at all kinds of different markets. We look at manufacturing, a lot of construction, um, getting more into more consumer. Uh, Type series, certainly core segments of the economy, financial uh, metrics, inflation, uh, prices, and and the like. Uh, But in terms of how we do it, we have uh, certainly evolved our methodology over the 70 years, but a lot of it has its roots uh, in our founder still. Uh, He was a gentleman who came out of the Great Depression. And what he noticed was a lot of the firms, you know, certainly were not prepared for that. Mm. And so he developed a lot of the long-term business cycle theory that we still use today. Uh, But now, of course, we have all kinds of technology that we didn't have uh, when when ITR started. Uh, So we have a database of about 10,000 leading indicators that we look at. uh, And then we have uh, also our rate of change methodology. Um, You can read more about that if you're interested, uh, our two principal and, and owner's Uh, Brian and Alan Bolio wrote a book called Make Your Move. You can read about that. And then kind of the fourth part. So you have long-term business cycle theory, leading indicators, internal trends. The fourth part is news and market observations. We're going around, we're speaking to lots of different groups. Uh, We are doing research uh, in different um, industries to see, okay, what's going on in housing? What are the uh, shortages faced on the labor side? What's the supply chain situation looking like? Things of that nature. Uh, what's the COVID situation? Uh, mm. Certainly was really, really germane to our forecasts a couple of years ago. Yeah, um, And so we're kind of marrying those four parts, the leading indicators, the internal trends, news and market observations, and our long-term business cycle theory. So when I go to forecast, it doesn't really matter what thing that I forecast. Uh, I'm looking at the intersection of those things and what they suggest for the future.
0: And then, and then how is that, you know, you're... <laughs> When you're forecasting, whether it's behavior, whether it's economic activity, I'm, I'm curious sort of how specific you can get with that and, and, and how that's measured and how you would then say, hey, here is what we, is it, here's what we think is going to happen in the next you know, 12 months, 36 months, 60 months. Kind of just how do you present that then? And, and then what do business owners or industries do with that information?
1: Yeah, so we, we get uh, sometimes the things that we forecast are really, really niche. Like a type of ball bearing or something like that. You know, we could, huh. we could get that niche, or we're forecasting. Uh, you know, world industrial production couldn't get less niche than that. So, <laughs> um, for us, the process is the same. It's waiting those four different elements I was talking about earlier. But in terms of what our clients do with it, um, they utilize the forecasts to plan. I think farther into the future. And not for here and now, but what's to come. Uh, I was just actually, before I came on this, talking with one of our longtime clients. And what he said was, you know, when I started to come to, to ITR, I was planning about a year to 18 months out in hmm. advance. And now they're using our long range forecasts to be planning three years out in advance. And so he was saying that, uh, you know, that's just helping him. And you know when it's slowing growth, he's planning for the next accelerating growth trend. When it's accelerating growth trend, he's planning for the next slowing growth or the next recession or whatever it is. And so uh, you're really getting ahead of your competition. And that's what we're trying to enable our clients to do.
0: Well, and that, that's such an interesting perspective to have. And you know, I mentioned that we we talk about the business side of stone fabricating, and, and one of the dynamics in a small enterprise is, is the work. And the schedule and the demand for the product right now is so great. It's hard to see beyond, you know, the next 30 days. And, and you get this impression that, you know, there's just so much pressure. There's greater demand and capacity. And I can remember back in, in 06 and, well, 04, or 05, 06, and into like the middle of 07, it was just like we had had such a long run of uninterrupted and, and just extraordinary demand. It had never entered my mind that that would ever stop. You know, it's just like it was inconceivable. It was just, it never entered my mind. And so when you're talking sure. about someone who's looking at the good times, now they're forecasting when it slows. And, and so there's you've got industries that are looking beyond the here and now. So what would you say to those of us in this industry who are experiencing that kind of demand um, and may be uh, just distracted by the here and now, what would you tell us how, how should we be thinking? What should we be looking in terms of, hey, you got to look at that, but you also got to look at something else. What, what does that look like?
1: Yeah, I think there's two things. Yeah, no. uh, one thing is that when we look at the leading indicators, we have a dashboard of a dozen key leading indicators. And we look at it, whether it's sunshiny in the economy or pouring rain, uh, because they're the 12 most predictive inputs to the future of the US economy. And we, when we look at them right now, Eleven of the twelve are declining, um, but they're when I, when I say decline, I don't mean plummeting into, you know, the the depths of prior to the Great Recession. Uh, <laughs> they're just edging down. So the U.S. economy is slowing. Housing starts are slowing. Remodeling activity is slowing, um, but they're still uh, overall rising. And so um, you you want to be planning, I think, for a future of slowing growth. Where your your backlog might be absolutely stuffed to the gills right now, and you can't possibly keep up. That's not gonna be the future forever. You're gonna see an easing there. Hmm. But the second thing that I think is really important for folks to know is that when you look at the consumer, the consumer is in a really, really strong position. Hmm. Uh, They spent a lot of the period, the initial period of the pandemic, uh, unable to get out there and spend. And for the folks who kept their jobs and got stimulus checks and the like, they were able to sock away a lot of cash. Hmm. And some of that cash is coming out now and it's being spent on things like countertops. There's still more cash out there. And so the, the economy has this real fundamental strength, not only from a savings perspective, but also from a debt perspective. Uh, people paid down their debts during that initial pandemic period. Hmm. If you can't go out to eat at the restaurant, you may as well pay off your credit card bill, right? So um, when you look at the loan delinquency rates, you look at debt levels relative to income, it's a really healthy U.S. consumer. They are taking a punch from higher inflation. They are taking a punch from higher interest rates, but they're in a really strong spot. Hmm. And so what I'm trying to paint the picture of is an economy that's uh, growing more slowly housing sector that's growing more slowly but the bottom isn't going to fall out hmm. and so i think as far as that relates to the countertop uh um, firm you want to be not incredibly optimistic but you certainly don't want to be incredibly pessimistic <laughs> either there's a, there's kind of a middle ground okay. there where uh, you're not going to be this busy forever but neither is 0809 around the corner uh, that's not going to happen it's okay. consumers too strong
0: that's fantastic, and so when you say eleven of those twelve indicators are, you know, declining, the rate of growth is declining. It's not like they they've reversed and they're shrinking. It's just that they're not growing like they've been.
1: Exactly, suggesting okay. more modest growth rates, but still growth.
0: Okay, interesting. Which to me seems when I look back at my time, uh, you. Oh four or five six or seven. For strangely, whatever reason, that's still like it just seems like it happened yesterday. (laughs) And then you know the last couple of years that were just the demand was so it it seemed like it came out of nowhere and it was in it. It was kind of reminiscent of that previous era where it was just like it's um it it didn't seem there's just like something unsettling about it. It's like where is this coming from? It just um. What is this? <laughs> and and, right. and it puts and it, these it's pressures on your sustainable. Yeah, it does, and then and it puts these like abnormal pressures on the business that aren't common when you're experiencing more just moderate, measured growth where you can plan and adjust. It's just it's such an onslaught. It's it's hard to manage. It's hard to respond to. And I think that slower growth is actually better for the business than this just overwhelming. Um, because the the forces that it seems to put on at least a small business owner is um ext- extreme, and they're better than not having oh, to work. Sure. But you know, uh, so the idea of moderate growth seems to me to be oh, that's actually that sounds really good.
1: Yeah, I think businesses are going to have a chance to catch their breath a little bit. It's hmm. been, you know, supply chain problems, labor problems, pandemic, just so many things and some of those issues are going to linger labor for example we think is going to be kind of a uh, not kind of it will be uh, one of the major challenges it's going to be a tight labor market here going forward Uh, just demographics alone have really make that necessity we have these baby boomers that are going to be dropping out of the workforce uh, not as many folks going into the workforce it's going to be tough uh, on that front of it but it will be that chance to kind of catch your breath and uh, I totally, uh, it's funny you were mentioning that, you know, is this 05, 06, 07, those vibes? I get that question a lot huh. on the uh, speaking circuit. And, um, you know, I've thought of it myself too. But what I always tell myself is I go back and look at the chart of debt relative to income. Hmm. I was mentioning it was really low earlier because yeah. people paid down all those loans. Go back and look at that same chart if I showed you that in 2000. 2005 2006 and it was the opposite it was saying we are at an unsustainable level we cannot sustain this
0: interesting Uh, and
1: same actually right before the dot-com crash so right now uh, you know i mean yes the the leading indicators are pointing down but we do have that fundamental consumer strength in the economy that Mm -hmm. is going to carry us through some of these headwinds that we're facing
0: that's interesting and i and i think my perception when you're talking about the cash that people had, I remember my business coach actually told me, right, as COVID was starting, he's like, you might find that, that your countertop sales go up because people are stuck at home. And I remember like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I, uh, that yep. just seemed like that's such pie in the sky. You're grasping at straws to paint a good picture of this. And it turned out to be true. And But then my perception, so it's been two years now, is that most of that stimulus, that dynamics kind of shifted in my mind, I think I was already assuming that that was beginning to play out and we we're returning to normal, but what you're saying is, no, a lot of debt was paid down, a lot of cash was saved, and so there's still a, a depth of consumer spending uh, in terms of just available resources that the quote-unquote consumer has at their disposal?
1: Yeah, I think partly, but I also partly really agree with you. I think the major part of the tailwinds from the stimulus are now over. Hmm. Uh, but there's still some that's left. okay. And, and basically now, the, the way I think of it is you have, there's some of those savings and low debt levels that are left, and they're basically fighting it out with higher interest rates and higher inflation. And so mm-hmm. the net result of those two things is, Uh, You know, a consumer that's not going to be as strong as they were in 2021, for sure. uh, But neither are they going to be as weak as they were in 2008 Mm. or 2009. So somewhere in the middle, more normal. And that's going to allow some of these businesses to catch a breath uh, and get back to a little bit more uh, just normal growth. But, you know, I certainly wouldn't be thinking, you know, if I did 30% growth in 2021, The last thing we want you doing is saying, I'm going to grow 30% in 22, 23, 24. That's not going to happen. And neither do we want you thinking the end is coming and, Mm -hmm. you know, my business is going to be cut in half in the next six months. That's not going to be happening either. So uh, somewhere in the middle is, I think, the reality of where we're headed.
0: Yeah, normal growth seems like it's, number one, it's still growth, and that seems more manageable and uh, preferable. And so that, uh, I like normal growth. (laughs) That's the phrase that's going to stick with me after this conversation. uh, Tell me about interest rates. You know, we were talking a little bit before we hit record that they just came out with a half, you said a half a percent increase?
1: Yeah, so it's a a 50 basis point increase. hundred basis points is 1%. So it's half a percent lift to the short-term interest rate. Um, keep in mind the long-term interest rate is what really matters for, for your industry mm-hmm. because um, you know, it's mortgage rates, it's refinance rates, it's people uh, tapping into that to, to either borrow to remodel or borrow to move into that new house or borrow to whatever they're going to do and, um, So we've seen a pretty dramatic rise uh, in long-term interest rates, certainly, uh, and you know that that is a headwind. There's no mistake about it, uh, and we're going to need to um, see. You know, probably if there was one thing that that keeps me up at night, uh, it would be do we see three or four hundred basis points of rise? So that'd be three or four percent rise Mm -hmm. in the long-term interest rates. uh, You know, that could really start to hurt uh, the consumer. Uh, because, you know, they still have this fundamental strength, but, you know, that's going to nick away at them is, you know, every time they go out to borrow, uh, those funds and it's just that much more expensive.
0: Right. So then that short that headline, which is what caught my eye, which I think it said something to the effect that, you know, largest increase and, and you know, they always sensationalize those things. So putting that into perspective, like, okay, that's a headline. It's a short-term interest rate that, that what they're talking about in that respect is not the underlying Rates that will affect the countertop business and you know, the housing market and that kind of thing. Those are are those are they talking about uh, timelines in terms of when they may be raising those or the rate at which they'll be raising those interest rates?
1: So, so the long run interest rates um, they sometimes they move with the short term interest rates and sometimes they don't. Hmm. Um, so it, that really depends on that. Doesn't the Federal Reserve sets the short term interest rate? but investors, uh, you know, by their behavior and their, and their actions are really setting the long-term interest rates. So mm-hmm. I think as investors are looking out, they're saying, I need more, uh, uh a higher yield on my long-term, uh, money that I'm parking away because, you know, we have higher inflation, uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's going to be a higher interest rate, higher inflationary uh, world out there. And so, uh, I think that, you know, that, that certainly is going to have a real impact. You know, we've seen 30 year mortgage rates, um uh, tick up over 5% now. Um, hmm. what we really need to see happen yeah, not, is not by
0: 5%, start, but up to 5%. Right.
1: Up to 5%. Okay. Exactly. Uh, on the, on a 30 year fixed rate. Um, so I think what, what really needs to happen to, to keep those interest rates from uh, moving too much higher is we need to see a couple things. One is we need to see inflation start getting under control. Um, that's uh, li- likely to uh, occur because we're going to see some supply chain uh, normalization as 22 goes on. It's not going to be like everything's all better all of a sudden uh, by the end of the year. Uh, certainly all the sanctions uh, related to the war um, and Russia's invasion is going to prolong some of that. Um, but as we see some of the supply chain normalize, see economic growth slow again, as I was saying, um, that's going to allow some of these businesses to essentially catch their breath and catch up a little bit um, with, with what's really been breakneck demand. I did want to make one quick note. Sure. just So uh, everyone always, um, not always, but sometimes I, I don't want to, you know, I talk about sanctions, and you know, there's the economic repercussions of sanctions. Um, you know, I'm an economist, that's why you invited me on this show. <laughs> um, just, just to be clear, for for all the listeners out there, we certainly, uh, from a personal perspective, we know there's a tremendous cost going on to war in Ukraine. So, uh, you know, I'm talking about the economics of it. I would never ever say that that's more important than the personal aspect of it. But, right? Um, just the economics of it are it's going to mean that inflation's a little stickier for a little longer. We're going to need to see that supply chain improve so we can get inflation coming down to uh, stop nicking the consumer so much.
0: Yeah. Well, it's amazing to me the, the the headwinds that have faced the world, the economy, and yet it continues. It's just like this. It, it, it wants to come back. It wants to return to normal. And, you know, it's just one thing after the other. <laughs> and despite that, it's still we're, we got a lot to be thankful for that the economy is as strong as it is, all things considered.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it's it's always amazing. We always have this phrase at work, never uh, underestimate the U.S. consumer. And I think that's yeah. really, um, you know, really come to bear in this business cycle. It's just amazing um, how strong, uh, you know, whether you look at the labor market, of course, that's a pain point if you're an employer. But yeah. if you're an employee, um, <laughs> you know, you're really in the catbird seat right
0: now. Yeah. So with the, the few remaining minutes that we've got, I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned the labor topic again, because that... Like I mean, you won't be surprised to hear this. In our other business, we 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 provide a product of the industry that's a labor saving device. But we hear this all the time. I cannot find installers. That'll be the specific phrase for whatever reason within yeah. our industry. But overall, what's how does a business owner? Are there you know do you have recommendations in terms of um, setting? Realistic expectations. And, and out of that, you know, what can small companies do to relieve some of that pressure to find help? What what is there a light at the end of the tunnel with that? Yeah.
1: Well, it's the not to be a, a Debbie Downer, but the, the <laughs> no light at the end of the tunnel is it's going to continue to be a challenge. Hmm. The light at the end of the tunnel is you just need to accept that fact because there's so many things that you as a small business can do. You're a small business, so you're nimble. Um, You can look at pay, make sure you're paying people competitively. You Mm. can look at benefits, make sure um, benefits are competitively. I say those two things and people always groan and say, I'm paying up everything I can. There's a ton more you can do. Mm. People leave over bad managers. They stay over great managers. Are you, are you a good manager? Is it mm. your managers, if you're a bit of a larger company, are they great managers? Look at that. Look at career development. Can people see themselves in two, three, four years with your organization? If not, how are you going to sell them on your future mm. um, culture? Uh, people want to have a good experience at work every day. Mm. Um, you know, They care about their paycheck, but they also care about having a good day. Yeah. So um, make sure you're checking yeah. with your employees and really selling them on why uh, you are a great place to work. Um, and I think the, the other thing I would just note is get creative about where uh, and how you're finding employees. Are you leveraging your existing connections to find workers who might be interested in making a move? Mm-hmm. Are you looking at, hey, you know, I've had really great success finding installers at this uh, high school or this, um, you know, college or this um, trade school or whatever it is. Um, leverage those relationships yeah. relationships really uh, make the difference when it's a really tight market.
0: Hmm. That's great. Well, yeah, it's a great point. One, one way to alleviate the strain on hiring is to not lose anybody. <laughs> it makes it five times. Yeah, harder. And, and so. Find
1: beat everyone else to the punch. You got to beat everyone else to um, finding those good folks and make sure that yeah. you're doing it. But tackling that issue is going to be a really important issue mm. because, uh, you know, with the economy continuing to grow, uh, there's going to be more and more need for that. And the last thing I'll note is make sure you take advantage of how can you work more efficiently, not just hire more bodies. Uh, interest rates, yes, they're on the rise, but they're still pretty low. Uh, and if you think about any sort of automation or efficiencies that you can create, those are probably going to pay off uh, down the road. And so that, that's another area that I'd suggest looking at as well.
0: Well I will I will second that as somebody who sells a piece of labor savings equipment to uh to the stone industry are uh, here here for uh, for making those investments. So well Eric I know that you are busy and in very high demand and Uh, we got to wrap this up. And so this, I I can't believe how much we got through in a mere 25 minutes and this, you are a fantastic guest. And I am so glad that you made time in your schedule to, uh, to visit with us here on the Fab Lab podcast and speak to the countertop installation industry. So thank you for coming on.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me and uh, yeah, I hope everyone uh, found this useful and uh, definitely happy uh, business planning out there.
0: Hey, Fantastic. Thank you, Eric. Take care. Take care. Wow, ladies and gentlemen, what a fantastic wealth of knowledge. Um, what a gift. What a privilege it is to have such great guests here on the Fab Lab podcast. And I sure enjoyed that conversation. I wish it could have gone on for another hour or so. That would have been awesome. But, you know, we got a lot done in a short period of time. I hope you enjoyed it. And ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, if you are looking for opportunities to expand your business, not just necessarily your sales, but expand your ability to lead and manage your business more effectively, I would encourage you to check out AaronCrowley.com. I've got some resources there. You can, first of all, check out my book, Less Chaos, More Cash. You can download the first three chapters for free. And for a limited time, you can still buy one of my original copies, the hardback copy. When you buy that off the website, I sign it personally, address it to you. You can also reach out to me if you are interested in coaching. I have limited availability to do high-impact coaching for stone shop owners who want to make the transition from being a doer To a delegator, and um, you can go to AaronCrawley.com, select the Work With Me page. You can click the one-on-one coaching option, answer some questions, and submit that to me, and I will reach out to you, and perhaps we can have a 90-minute complimentary coaching conversation that would benefit your business. You can also check out that link in the show notes here on the podcast. So ladies and gentlemen, fellow fabricators, so glad that you tuned in. I look forward to talking to you next week. Until then, happy fabricating.